You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Ah, what an incredible weekend. Thank you, men. That was powerful, and uh, I'm excited for what God's going to do here this morning and going forward here through our men as well. Um, first and foremost, to address the elephant in the room, I am wearing a sport coat. I did not realize it would cause so much anxiety, but in order to balance the sport coat, I'm also wearing a t-shirt. I call it the pastor's mullet. Party in the front, business in the back. So we're just taking care of business here. Jody, do you, can I, would you walk, can I, would you bring it up here real quick? I found something though to really dress it up and I'm, I'm just so grateful for my, my man Jody here. If we could just, yeah, so. I just feel like dancing and I can't dance. Okay. <laughs> we had so many comments on my jacket. I was like, it's just a jacket. <sighs> but I do look sharp. So. Here's what I want to do. We, we did, we had such a powerful weekend. I want to continue that. And one of the things uh, that we talked about up at the retreat was legacy. What do you want your legacy to be? And legacy begins in every man with prayer. And so if you're a man here and you know the Lord, you've given your life to the Lord, he's your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to stand up and then just circle around this room. Right now. Oh yeah, yeah no, just right now. Just go to the outside walls. You can be up front here, and we're going to circle this room. Because what it takes, and one of the things I heard over and over from men in the time of testimony and in me talking with them, was I want to go home and be the leader of my house. I want to be the spiritual leader. I want to come before God and say, this is my home. And so men... What I want to do is I want to lead us in prayer, and I'll, I'll give some announcements. And ladies, as you're here or if you're here and you're just not around in the circle, just seek what God is asking you to pray for. But lift up these men that have made commitments that I will lead spiritually in my home, at my workplace, in my neighborhood. Um, and so, men, let's begin this. Men, Father, we come to you and we lift up the women in our lives, our wives, our mothers, sisters, daughters, grandmothers, men begin to pray over them right now. If they have a sickness, pray over the sickness. If they're dealing with mental illness, ask God to stand in the gap. If you have children who are struggling with addictions, rebellion, intercede on their behalf. Maybe you need to pray that the Lord would uphold your wife in a decision that you two have been thinking about and are making, that he would bring courage to her. That you would pray the scriptures over her nightly.
Men, next I ask that we would pray over the body of Christ, the church, and not just LifePoint, but the church here in the country that God's given us, that we would see unity brought back to his body, that the division that we have allowed to rise up because we have not stood in the place of leadership, because we have not led in prayer and in the word and in the leading what is the glory of God covering our lives, God forgive us. And just right now, whatever God puts on your heart, begin to pray and cover God's church, specifically here in America. Bring us back to unity, O Lord. Father, we stand in the gap for those who you have put in leadership in our government, at the state and federal level, at the cities and county levels. God, that you would give them your wisdom. Just begin to pray those words, man. For those who know you, Lord, and have submitted their lives to you already, would you uphold them? Give them courage to stand for you and what is righteous. Protect them, Lord. Give them favor amongst the circles they walk in. But you are sovereign, O oh Lord. Uphold our leaders. And lastly, men, we come before the Lord and we give thanksgiving for your home, for your job, for your health, for your children, whatever God puts on your heart, just praise him with thanksgiving. We acknowledge that all good gifts come from you, O oh Lord. We put our heart and our mind in a place to receive from you today, O oh Lord. Jesus. Father, as we spend time in your holy scriptures this morning, I pray your spirit would open eyes and ears that things we've seen or read maybe a hundred times, Lord, bring it to life, Lord, and may, may you, by, by your spirit, may we apply it this week, may we lead well, and may we bring you honor and glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you, men. Appreciate it. I love seeing this. We're in Letters to the Valley, and we're talking about honor and order, that God has honor in order, things being orderly. It says that our God is not a God of confusion. Often it can feel like the world around us is full of chaos and confusion, full of sin and wickedness that we don't know what to do to stop, and we're like, what do we do, right? Prayer often doesn't feel like enough, and we're like, I just, what do I do? The truth is we serve a God of order and there is a purpose to the things that he has ordered. And part of that order is who God puts in charge over others, right? From leadership and pastors and deacons and teachers 
And so this morning, ladies, I don't want to forget about you. So for the last nine years, my wife has become the de facto uh, head over the women's ministry. She has not served as the head, though. She's served through committee, has helped with all of the women's retreats that we have had, has counseled hundreds of women and uh, prayed with and been invested in the lives of the women at this church, and we gave her no money or title so that her heavenly reward might be rich. <laughs> yep, amen. Well, um, as our lives have changed and kids are getting older and responsibilities are changing, she realized I just don't have the capacity to do that anymore. And so we began to pray a little over a year ago that God would provide someone, and God has provided someone. So Christy, would you come up here and... Uh, I want you to introduce the new uh, women's pastor here at LifePoint. Hello. So, um, like he said, I have been um, leading a team of women for our um, women's ministry, and I have loved doing it. I love pouring into the women of the church. I love um, discipling and seeing women grow in their knowledge of the word. I love seeing a passion grow in women. And this has been a passion of my heart since I was young, honestly, since I was in my teens. And it's hard to let go of those things sometimes, especially when we see it as a good thing, right? But the Lord started showing me over a year and a half ago, maybe, um, that our lives were getting to a point, our kids were getting to a certain ages, uh, they're getting busier, they have a lot of special needs, there's a lot of things going on, and they need to be a priority. And even as much as we say the words that um, we don't sacrifice our kids for ministry, I realized that's what I was doing. And because of my passion for the women, I needed to make sure I was reordering things. And so we've been praying for the last year and a half, Nathan and the pastors and myself, that the Lord would provide um, some relief in this area. I still am going to be teaching. I'm still going to be working in the leadership team. I'm still going to be a part very much of this, but I can't handle the day-to-day -day logistics of running a ministry. My time and my priority really needs to be my kids, uh, at least for this season of time. And so the Lord provided in a perfect way, as he always does, in his perfect timing. And um, Jamie Ferrara, who many of you guys know, Jamie, would you come up here with Tim? Woo! That was... She is going to be taking this place as being the women's pastor over women's ministries. She and I are going to be working together, but she is going to be the person handing the, handling the logistics of running this ministry. And if you don't know Jamie, she is a woman who loves the Lord with her whole heart. She loves truth. She loves the spirit. She loves leading. She's been in leadership in this church in one way or another for 10 years, whether it was leading uh, the kids' ministry for the last 10 years, whether it's been on our Women of Life leadership team, she's been also leading the team for the Women of the Word meeting on Monday nights for the last few years. She is an incredible woman who, if you know her, uh, you may not know this, a month ago for her birthday, all she wanted to do was have a worship party. She wanted women to come and just worship the Lord. That's all she wanted for her birthday party. That's the kind of woman that this is. So she is going to be. She is so glad you shared that about her. <laughs> She is going to be stepping into this role, and I am so excited to see what God is going to be doing in her and through her to bless the women here at LifePoint. Thank you so much, Christy. And I just want to honor Christy again and thank her for all the years and the prayers and the service that she's done and can, will continue to do. And I'm just looking forward to this next season of both of our lives 
um, as we work together and we serve the women of this church. And I just want to, um, I would love to meet you if I haven't had a chance to meet you. I'll be um, out in the lobby after service. I also come up to pray for women. I would love to pray for you today if you need a prayer. And I'm just so excited and I'm so thankful to my husband um, for just his covering and his leadership and for all the pastors. And I'm looking forward to this. Go ahead and reach out a hand. We're going to pray blessing over Christy and Jamie. Lord, thank you so much for Christy and Jamie, Lord, just for their, their servant's heart for this church, for the women here as they've done it so long, not desiring recognition, but desiring to see life change in the women here, for life change in their marriages, and, and for equipping women to, to, do, to do more as you've given us all giftings. Lord, we thank you for their giftings, for their, their willingness to serve and just be led by you every step of the way. We pray just blessing over Christy and Nathan and their family, Lord, during this time, Lord. And, and we just, uh, I, I thank you for Jamie, the blessing she has in my life and for so many women already. And that that would just continue to grow, Lord, as you've uh, given us this new opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Pretty cool, right? It's awesome. I'm so excited. So Jamie will be out in the lobby after the service, ladies. If you'd like to meet her and introduce yourself to her, she will be out there. All right. Order. We serve a God of order. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see God is very specific on things, right? How he created the world. We see order in the days. We see order in the creation of man and woman how they are separate from each other, how they are quite different from each other and yet complementary towards one another. How each uh, gender, man and woman, are given different gifts meant to complement. One has that the other doesn't have. And the word helper there for woman, as much as the church has abused it over the years as being like a lowly helper, like hand me the hammer, it's more like a I can't pick up this log without you type helper. Like you have gifts and strengths that I cannot do what I am called to do apart from you. In fact, it's the same word used to describe the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? Helper, one who comes alongside. And so when we look at men and women, we see that God has an order for them as well and an order in the church. God had an order for the temple being built, right? The types of metals and linen that would be used, exact sizes and measurements, the Ark of the Covenant, there was an order. He gave Gideon an order in how he was to defeat the Midianites. He gave Moses an order into how he was to lead the people out of slavery. Do you believe God is a God of order? Do you think he cares about these things? Over and over again. And somehow, though, we get lost when it comes to the church, right? Because we just do church the way we feel like doing church. And so it becomes sort of this thing of, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. Like Jesus is more like a hippie, peace-loving God. Like we just do things as we feel led in the spirit and we move in the spirit. Um, which then raises the question, Pastor, as long as you're doing all this weird stuff like standing down on the floor and having us stand up and move around, what about doing like a four or five hour service? Okay, right? Some of you are like, careful with your amen. <laughs> careful with your amen right there. Because there is order to it. And we see that there is an intention to order when there is a public gathering. Now, in your small group, at home, in a small Bible study, if the spirit moves and you wish to spend three, four, five hours in prayer and worship, all the more power to you. But in the public corporate gathering where we open our doors and wish that the whole community would come in 
to know that they are loved by Christ, they are loved by us, and to give worship to Him, there needs to be order. And so there is lots and lots of instructions in the New Testament. Paul gives a lot of instruction. Peter gives instruction. His letters to Timothy give further instruction on the order of the service. So what I want to look at here this morning is if you turn to 1 Corinthians 1, I'll be reading out of the NIV. And I'll be reading out of the NIV going forward because it's just simpler for you to know exactly what I'm reading. So if you want to get a Bible or download the app on your phone, I'll be reading from the NIV going forward. This is a big decision for me. Um, There's lots of tears and great gnashing of teeth, but it is what I am sticking with. Just because my old Bible that I've had for like 25 years is all marked up, it's NASB, and uh, I shall have to not read from it. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What an introduction. So Paul is writing to Corinth. Corinth is a major city. It is a major hub. It is a major place for wealth and commerce and knowledge. And the church that Paul planted there is beginning to stray away from the teachings of the apostles and incorporate pagan theology and pagan teaching into their messages. And so Paul gets word of this from uh, the household of Chloe. And so he writes this letter to remind them that there should be order in their service, that order honors God. So let's see, he gives thanks for them first though, right? Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God, thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So remember Paul's the best at doing a compliment sandwich, like compliment and then what's wrong, and then he'll end with a compliment. Here's his compliment sandwich. He just gave him a compliment. I love it. I see the gifts in you, and now we're going to get to a part that needs to be addressed. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there would be no divisions among you, but that you be perfect in unity of mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from the household of Chloe, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. This is what I mean by quarrels. Some say I follow Apollos, others say I follow Paul, still others say Cephas, and others say I will follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you, except Crispus and Gaius. I love love that. He's like, well, I did baptize Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Do you not love, like, just... God's humor in what is included in the Bible as Paul is like, I just need to be super clear here because someone's going to remember that I was at Stephanus' home and then I'm going to hear about it. So he actually writes 
Beyond that, I'm pretty sure that's all I baptized. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied. And now we get into this insanely powerful moment as we understand God's intentions and order behind corporately coming together to worship. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved by it, it is the very power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who would believe." Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. You weren't born of noble birth. For God chose the foolish things of the world to shame that what was not. Many were influential. I mean, to shame the wise, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify or cancel the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Paul is setting up for them an explanation and an understanding, not just of his ministry, but what it looks like that when we come together. You see, what was happening in Corinth is the wealthy were beginning to segregate from the poor, right? The Jews were segregating from the Gentiles in the congregation. It happened slowly, but it was happening. And in their time, the way you could tell the wealthy is the women would wear their hair up. I don't know if it was a bouffant, right? Like my great aunt, or if it was just like the 80s up, but they would wear it with jewelry adorning their hair and their head and on their body. And that was a sign that that was an influential woman, that that was a wealthy woman. And when they would come together, they would begin to congregate. And then they would all sit over here. And then the Jews would wear their uh, garments that separated them. And then they would sit over here, right? And it began to be separated. What God united and brought together, man began to separate. So Paul's reminding them, my favorite one, not many of you are very wise in the world's standards. Can we all just be honest here? You're not that smart. But remember that you weren't saved because you're wise. You're saved because you humbled yourself before Christ. Not many of you are born of noble birth, but that's not why you're saved. You're saved because of Christ. Not many of you are physically strong, but that's not why you can have courage and be bold. You can have that because of Christ. And so what Paul is doing is he's breaking down those cultural uh, divisions that we begin to set up amongst one another. And he says, before I can even get into the rest of this stuff, and if you've never read 1 Corinthians 13, just look at the headings in your Bible of the chapters. It is one thing after another where Paul is addressing 
you guys got to pay attention to this. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Stop hitting your sister. Stop hitting your sister. Like it's just over and over again the things that Paul's like. He says he's like a father and they are his children. And so you, you see that in his letter to them. And so what he says here at the end, though, is, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is important to what we're going to read next, because Paul, of all men, had reason to boast. Being given a specialized visit after Christ's death and resurrection and ascension. Being someone who God should have struck dead for his persecution of the church. Instead, God comes and gives him new life. God reveals himself to him. God sets him up on a path to know him like no other. He was a man who walked in righteousness inside the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council. He was a man who knew his Old Testament, most likely had it memorized. And so he says this, so it was with me, brothers, this is chapter two. So it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now imagine showing up to this congregation today and not having this to bring us in unity together, or at least this whole second half of this. Imagine not having this already have been written down, 2,000 years of church history, movies, testimonies, films, libraries filled with books of God's goodness, miraculous events happening throughout the world. I think we often forget how blessed we are. We often look at the evidence that is before us and it's so overwhelming. The fact is we're swimming in a sea of it and we're looking and going, where's the evidence you exist, God? as we're floating in the evidence. This is a time when just mentioning the name of Christ or submission to him could get you killed in your family. And you're like, for the guy who loved people and healed people and helped people? He was just a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. He he had no nobility. He had no notoriety, strength, or human wisdom. How is this God? Paul says... I do not come speaking persuasively. See, the reason that is so important is to understand the culture in Corinth even more. That the culture in Corinth is a city like in LA or in New York where those who get by, those who do well, those who people want to see are the educated and those who speak eloquently, those who are intelligent, those who are charismatic. And so that's how they draw crowds. Paul says, I did not use persuasive words. See, Paul says that because he could have. Paul was charismatic. Paul was a teacher. Paul could have used any method of speaking that he wished and could have gotten the people all teary-eyed with a story of a lost puppy and then, bam, hit him with the salvation message at the end. But he didn't. What did he come with? Christ crucified. He said, in fact, I stripped myself of all of the talents that I have, 
All of the things that I learned on how to get an audience and a crowd to listen to you, I stripped myself of all of that, Corinth. Don't you remember? I didn't come to you in a big flashy arena. I didn't come to you in any of these things. I came to you in my weakness and fear and trembling. And I preached one thing, Christ and the cross and him crucified. And you came to believe. Why, Corinth? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit in me. The same power that is given to you when you receive Christ. Does that give you chills? Paul had every ability to use all the tricks that we as speakers and mankind has to be able to draw crowds and the people in. And Paul laid them all down and preached one simple message. Jesus Christ is God. He came in the form of man. He died on a cross for your sins. And on the third day, he rose again under his own power. And his blood is a new covenant between God and man. Do you want to be under that covenant? That's his message. This is why the pastors here and the elders here at this church, we want to simplify so much of what we do on Sunday morning. And we can still have events and prayer nights and we can have uh, worship nights and things that are wonderful celebrations of the Lord. But when we gather together here, I know that there are uh, those who have given their life to the Lord in here and those who haven't. And so I want to make sure that whatever we're doing from worship to the message, that we are preaching Christ and him crucified. I don't want to use an emotional appeal for you. I don't want to get to a point where you only show up because you like a certain speaker. I want you to show up because the very presence of God is evident through our people who are serving, who are in the cafe, who are watching the children, who are in the parking lot welcoming you, to who are leading our worship, to the pastors, to the elders who are here. You know what? To the other people who show up and enjoy the service, I want us to see the very power of God's Holy Spirit. And I want to emphasize that. And I want to make that be the kind of church we are. That's what we're focusing on. Amen? Amen. So Paul says, said in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. It was a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So before God even spoke the universe into existence, Paul says, this moment of Christ was destined before time even began. This hidden mystery of how God would make himself known. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. You see, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Are we all tracking to this point? If there's somebody who's not, shake your head. Say, no, I'm not tracking. Paul's saying, you're the only one who knows your own thoughts, right? So the only one who knows God's thoughts is God's Spirit. Okay. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, 
so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. What language does God speak? Why doesn't he speak English? Why can't I hear the voice in the sky boom down and say, oh, my child? Paul's telling you right here. He's not going to speak in the language at you. He's going to speak through the Spirit. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. They cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. He's saying you can only understand the things of God if God has, if you've given your life to God and he has opened your heart and mind to the things of God. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. Paul says the hidden things about life, why are we here, who are we, who is God, what's our purpose, what am I supposed to do? He said those have been revealed to everybody. It's no longer a secret. It's no longer something that is reserved for kings and prophets and those that God is choosing to use in a certain moment of time. His spirit is now available to any poor wretch who calls on his name, even me, who cries out and says, yes, Lord, his spirit will come. In fact, one of the problems that messes up an order of service is specifically the use of the gifts. Would you agree? Would you say, who here believes that we all have a correct and unified vision on tongues and speaking in tongues. Okay, good. You've passed raising your hand test number one. Like you probably don't even have the same one as the guy sitting next to you, right? Tongues is one of those things where we have divided ourselves. We have split brother, sister, mother, father, not over Jesus Christ versus no Jesus Christ, but over the use of tongues. In fact, then in the church, it's been used as sort of a litmus test for who is the super Christian and who's just the average Christian. What, have you received the gift of tongues yet? Or you haven't been baptized in the Spirit? Liar! Did I wake you up? To be Warren Wiersbe, commentator, has a whole book series on uh, commentating on the Scripture, says this, to be baptized in the Spirit means that we belong to Christ's body. To be filled with the Spirit means that our bodies belong to Christ. You want to know when you're baptized in the Spirit? The moment you give yourself to Christ, you're baptized in the Spirit. It is not an event that needs to come later. It is not like water baptisms, which we're doing today at the end of the service. You are baptized in the Spirit. You belong to Christ's body the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. Now, to be filled with the Spirit... If you want to go there, there's multiple places throughout Scripture that talk about being filled with the Spirit. A moment in time where a man or a woman gives their body, their life fully to the work of the Lord, and they are prayed over by other disciples, elders, deacons in the church, and they are sent out and they ask the Lord to fill them with His Holy Spirit for the work of the ministry that is set before them. Okay? So now, have you ever heard it said that the evidence of being baptized in the Spirit is speaking in tongues. A lot of people have probably heard that said. 
I just want to show you real quickly here how much that is not true. Romans 8, 14 through 6. Here is the real evidence of the Spirit's baptism at conversion and the witness of the Spirit within you. Romans 8, 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Did you hear anything about babbling in tongues there? Isn't that amazing? So next time somebody says, well, it's evidence you have the Holy Spirit, you go, ah! you yell at them that loud too, and it might shake their spirit awake a little bit. That is not evidence. The Spirit himself bears witness to being in my life. And so here's the thing. All the believers in the Corinthian assembly had been baptized by the Spirit, right? Many of them had come to the Lord, given their life to the Lord, so they'd been baptized in the Spirit, but not all of them spoke in tongues. We know this, 1 Corinthians 12.30. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Those are questions. Paul's saying, no, you don't all do those things. Here's what the true evidence of the Spirit's filling really is. Acts 1.8. If you want to see evidence, if somebody has been baptized by the Spirit of God and is walking with the Lord, Acts 1.8, the power given unto man and woman to witness. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. How are we going to witness for the Lord? The Holy Spirit. So only the extroverts and the good speakers and those who are naturally outgoing, those get the Holy Spirit and they're the witnesses, right? Right? No. All who receive the Spirit and are baptized in the Spirit of the Lord, which is all who come, give their life to the Lord, are then given the power to witness. And how easy is witnessing? You share the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. That's it. More people have come to know the Lord because of those two things than any pastor or preacher preaching some sermon that he spent hours on. The blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Second way you can tell that the Spirit is, that a person is filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, joyfulness and submission. Ephesians 5.19. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Address one another with joyfulness, but I don't feel joyful. I don't like that person. Then you might need Galatians 5, through 26. What's another way we can tell? By the fruit of the Spirit. is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Anytime a pastor ever is going like hours or someone is standing up giving a testimony and everybody's sort of nodding off, just say, hey, you aren't exhibiting the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Can we just go ahead and shut this down? Like it's been a long time. Let's cut this out. And you'll be quoting scripture and you'll be fine. And lastly, and most importantly, in my humble opinion, John 16, 12 through 15. 
A person who is baptized with the Holy Spirit of God will continue to grow in their understanding of the Lord. Let's read this. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So I heard something yesterday, which is so crazy that it tied in with this. It was a a woman who was giving this illustration on why is it that God doesn't always give us what we ask for, what we want. When we beg God, when we cry out to God, when we plead with him, when we bargain with him. Maybe you've been praying for years and you're like, why won't you answer this prayer? And she gave an analogy that I absolutely loved. She said, who here, first of all, doesn't have anybody, any children in their home? Raise your hand. A husband? Well, that counts, so you can put your hand down. Who doesn't have any children? Wow, see, second service is family service. This is why we have 300 kids out there right now. So for those of you who have no children in your home, if I told you I was coming over with three two-year-olds and four three-year-olds, and we're just going to hang out at your house for a few hours, what's the first thing you would do? Lock your door. What's the second thing you would do? You would take anything valuable and you'd put it up high. So I remember when Christy and I were first married and uh, I had these speakers that I had brought back from back east. I was really proud of them. I got them at a, like a thrift store and like with a big subwoofer and I took the cover off because that was cool to do, right? And so you could see how powerful it is. And these friends came over from college of hers and she is much, much, much older than me. And so they already had children. She knows, she's okay. Uh, and this little nightmare walks right up to my subwoofer and just goes boop and pokes that thing in. And I was like, oh. I didn't know I had to put that up high. And the word she said was this, and it was so good. She said, God may not be answering your prayers or giving you things of great value yet because you're not mature enough to receive them. You see, Children don't understand the worth of that vase or that subwoofer. They don't understand the value of it. And so if I lay it down and I leave it on a level that they can take, one, it will either hurt them, or two, they will destroy something of great value. Doesn't that sort of change perspective on God not answering your prayer a little bit? Like, all right, God, maybe rather than I keep praying for this thing, I need to change and I need to say, God, what is it that I need to grow up in? Jesus is speaking here to his disciples and he says to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you're too young. You're going to break them. They're too valuable and they have too much glory for you. But there is a time when the spirit of truth comes and he is going to guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Friends, you and I live in that age where the Holy Spirit will speak and bring all forms of truth. But in his knowledge and wisdom and in his unbelievable love for you, he still will not bring two things that are too valuable and precious before you until you are ready. Because he loves you too much. He loves those whose homes you're going into 
and whose precious things you're going to break. He loves you too much. And so often what we see are men and women in the church who have stepped out of the order of things from God and we just want the glorifying things. We want the gifts, I want the prophecy, I want the healing, I wanna speak in tongues and show everybody what I can do. And yet we have grabbed something incredibly valuable off the high shelf and just taken it. Without first saying, Lord, mature me, grow me, lead me. More to the order of service next week. Let's pray and come to the Lord's Supper now. Father, we come before you now in humility and grace, gratefulness. Lord, thank you that you have given us the scriptures and your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're swimming in a sea of revelation and knowledge. Wisdom has been poured out on our generation. So, Father, we ask that you would continue to discern in our hearts that when we are too overwhelmed with all of that is around us, that we would see and know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Communion here at LifePoint, you can be a part of regardless of denomination. The only requirement that we say is that you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you've committed to him and submitted your life to him. But we take communion when we gather together because we want to remember what Christ wanted his disciples to remember on the night that he was betrayed. That he would take bread and he broke it with them first to remind them of his body. That as Joe spoke earlier this morning, the veil once covered and separated man from the holy of holies, that Jesus' body would replace that veil. And when he gave his life on that cross and breathed his last physical breath, and then on the third day breathed in, that veil was torn when he breathed his last breath and the access to God was made available through Christ's body. Let's thank the Lord now together. Father, help me in my weakness and my misunderstanding. Help me in my own foolishness of heart. I come in gratitude and thankfulness for the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.